0: J.B. Knowledge Podcast Network. On Episode 73 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about sponsored startups with Bill Martin from Plymouth Rock Assurance. The sure Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Oh, yeah. As we record this, it is uh, Friday, December the 17th, 2021. It's the last episode of the year. We're going to take a couple weeks off for Christmas and New Year's, but uh, it has been a heck of a year. With me today, I've got, of course, my illustrious co-host, the most interesting man in insurance, endofinsurance.com. That's Mr. Rob Galbraith. Rob, how's it going, buddy?
1: It's going, James. I'm really looking forward to uh, just Uh, So time down with family and and relaxing during these holidays. We actually didn't go on a family vacation this year. We were talking with producer Jim Greenlee right before we started recording that uh, our Texas winter storm kind of ended up being our family vacation for the year. So uh, I have uh, a couple of my kids are are traveling over the holidays. uh, Not everyone's going, but it should be nice. It should be nice.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we're... We're gonna be, of course, up in uh, Michigan, uh, hanging out, uh, enjoy a little actual winter. We we get in uh, we get in Texas a bit of a fake winter. It's uh, although although yeah, we got two severe ice and snow uh, snaps uh, in two thousand twenty one. Uh, we are not, uh, we're not immune from super cold weather, but we don't get the fun powdery stuff, uh, that, that you can actually ski on. So I'll be doing that, but I'm looking forward to that. And of course, with us, our guest, Mr. Bill Martin, uh, Bill, thanks for joining us today. Good to see you. Bill, where are you joining us from?
2: I'm in Boston, Massachusetts.
0: <sighs> I was just in Boston a few weeks ago. Had a great time. Went to my first Bruins game. I lived in Boston summer of 2000, had a great time there, but, uh, never went to a Bruins game. I will say extremely entertaining bill
2: summer is a great place to be in boston so yeah and now sum- i'm being reminded of my uh, michigan winters here it's the first time i've been back in the north since i moved out of michigan yeah 30 years ago 40 years ago
0: oh yeah yeah michigan's a little different a lot of lake affects snow in uh, southwest michigan and uh we oh, yeah. get we get several feet dumped on us. It's, uh, of course, immensely entertaining when you don't have to live with it for five months. It's, uh yeah, it's, it's way more
2: fun on on demand. Yeah,
0: it. it's it's fun when it's like two weeks. Then you're like, okay, time to get out of here. Uh, all done. Yeah, exactly. Hey, all done. All done. All all zip. All done with that. So you're you're in Boston. Love love me some Boston. Uh, with a Plymouth Rock Assurance. Uh, and uh, glad glad to have you on. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, all kinds of uh, all kinds of stuff today, but uh, also sponsored startups. Uh, before we get started with that discussion, uh, don't forget that you can subscribe to the InsureTech Geek Podcast by texting GEEKOUT, That's G E E K O U T. GEEKOUT, to six six eight six six. Make sure you never miss an episode. Back to our guest, Bill Martins, uh, President and CEO at Plymouth Rock Assurance. For those of you who like to follow along during the interview, that is at Plymouth Rock dot com hell of a job getting a good domain name by the way i'm sure there might have been a little bit of competition for that one considering uh, how, how prominent plymouth rock uh, uh weighs on the american history mindset. The pilgrims are here
2: first but we were first on the internet so there you go, there you go.
0: <laughs> um i actually descend from some folks who landed there so uh nice. I, I i'm i'm a 12th generation u.s american uh my uh 11th great grandfather wh- whatever n- you number you assigned to that uh, John Benham, landed over there in Plymouth in 1631 uh so uh i i'm i'm what you call old school massachusetts uh
2: How are you yeah. yeah you're you're way way old school, <laughs> way old school. 400 years exactly Four,
0: uh, yeah almost for almost 400 years uh, four uh and and so always good to 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 chat so what tell me before we uh before we get into The business because we're going to talk about Plymouth Rock, we're talking about sponsored startups. We're going to talk about a lot of things. Um, Let's talk about you for a second. Uh, Where were you born and raised and kind of what do you envision doing with your career when you were a kid?
2: Uh, well, I was, I was born in, uh, Huntington beach, California, but I left before they plowed all the bean fields over. So I was very young and moved east. We eventually, I grew up in, uh, Michigan and in, in Michigan, just south of Flint a town called Fenton, uh, pretty much a factory town, people that, uh, worked three shifts. You knew whose yard you didn't play in, who was on the graveyard shift and that sort of, um, and went to school back in the West sight unseen, uh, to Stanford and really planned to uh, to make my way to grad school, like 98% of the people who go there do. But before I did, I got stolen away. Uh, I wanted to take a break and I got stolen away uh, by a progressive. Progressive had just in that day decided to uh, take its Cleveland operations and spread it out into the uh, four different five different sections. Um, and they were about three hundred million in size and uh, and they were doing something that we all aspire to do in the insure tech geek world, which is change the business, uh, completely re-engineer and change the business. and and, uh, and so they they shipped us uh, me and three others from school to Sacramento, uh, Rancho Cordova, where they had a regional office and started work there they put me into product management within a few months and and uh that was when product management first started it's kind of interesting to see how that's evolved yeah absolutely i
0: mean that's there was no such thing as a product manager back in the no day.
2: and and I, I you know there could be some debate whether the tech world which came later stole it from the uh insurance world which which we stole, uh, frankly, Peter Lewis, the chairman at the time, had stolen it from Procter & Gamble, the brand management idea. Where you take somebody who knows nothing about the business, but you give them all the authority with no employees, and they go tell everybody what to do. And uh, and that kind of drifted to expertise in, in pricing. But the truth is, um, we were just trying to be disruptive. We were trying to be little mini tech CEOs of the day. Mm. Yeah, it's...
0: Uh... Uh, been a pretty pretty interesting ride for you. Beyond even that, because you you made a a, a few stops. Uh, Travelers Insurance uh, Agency Insurance Company of in Maryland, AFG, then North Point Company Insurance Company, Farmers Insurance Group for nine years. Uh, Bankers Insurance, Bunker Hill Insurance Company. I mean, so what, what what was the the path there? I mean, where did you you, you spent time as a pricing officer, at COO, vice president. Um, what, what was your, your path career wise through the insurance? Papers? Well, I,
2: I, there was a, both the personal and professional, but there's more of a pattern than it looks like. I, I would, progressive kept moving me East and I wanted to go back to California. I was kind of in love with the place. And, uh, and eventually travelers said, Hey, if you move to Hartford for a year or two, we'll move you back West. I moved to Hartford prop 103 passed. We pulled out of California. And I wasn't going back West. So, uh, I went to a startup and the startup was agency insurance company in Maryland. It was, A a guy in premium finance who had enough money to start an insurance company, wanted somebody who knew what they were doing. And at 23-year-old, I knew everything. So I I started an insurance company for him, um, hired his son. Uh, They brought in an adult eventually, and I moved on to American Financial Group, where they wanted to start a non-standard auto insurance company. So I did a sponsored startup for uh, agency services, which became agency insurance company, and a sponsored startup for the transport insurance group, which became Tico Leader Insurance. Uh, And then eventually somebody let me do my own startup in Sacramento. Um, That one uh, was mostly sponsored by reinsurers, which many of your insure tech startups start with before they go and raise money uh, in the home insurance business. At that time, I was starting a non-standard auto insurance company, uh, did it in Sacramento again, Roseville. Reinsurance dried up after 9-11. So uh, I fired myself and, and got uh, recruited by an ex-progressive guy at, Farmers named Stephen Lehman, one of the divisional managers when I first started there. It turned out that somebody who's got experience working for themselves and doing startups is really pretty valuable at a large organization because you have the audacity to look into every part of the business and to worry about the bottom line rather than just stay in your silo. Um, And that becomes pretty well appreciated, especially if you come up with good ideas about how to get them out of the quagmire that inevitably. Uh, every large insurance company is in, in each one of their product lines. Um, so, so that was a very successful run. I got to run, eventually ran their auto business, which was eight billion dollars, and uh, we acquired a couple companies, Bristol West and AIG Auto, uh, and um, eventually went into marketing, so I could help integrate those companies into Farmers. Uh, got to be involved with the creation of the campaign. You still see today the the uh, J.K. Simmons professor campaign. Uh, so I got to learn the value of marketing in the business, just as everybody else began to spend a well, ridiculous amount of marketing. You mean my, my favorite song, we are farmers. Bum, ba, bum, bum, bum,
0: bum. Very good. <laughs> when uh, Timberlake
2: <laughs> sang that on the Oscar stage, there were hundreds of us around the nation who were involved with creating it, just jumping up and down going, I can't believe it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we, we, uh, that, so that was all good. But eventually at uh, farmers, I was a senior vice president when I left. Um, I began to get offers to run companies and uh, I picked one in Florida because I had an idea for home insurance that people weren't brave enough to try in a large organization. It was too too disruptive to the existing competitive advantage and risky. uh, You risk something in home insurance in Florida and you get the reinsurance right so you're ready for the hurricane, you can still make a lot of money. And I would argue that most of the successful companies in Florida are because of they're gonna hate me for this. Or because they haven't had a hurricane that ruined their, their performance on the non-cat, so that revealed that they really weren't that good in insurance pricing on the non-cat side, non-catastrophe side. So um, the idea was that uh, because the majority of risk in home insurance is related to location, size of home, things you could correlate with the ownership um, and whether that you didn't really need to ask all the questions we were asking. And that was 2011. I wanna emphasize the fact that was 2011 because there's at least 30 companies since 2011 who claim they've invented this. And uh, and I won't claim that I was the inventor, but I was probably one of the first to execute on it at Bankers Insurance in uh, in Florida. Uh, Worked very well, worked better than me or the ownership family thought it would. I made a lot of money. And uh, I realized that I had something that should be national. And eventually that uh, a lot of other stories brought me to to Plymouth Rock where they kind of embraced the innovation and would fund the innovation and give me a platform where I wasn't worrying about, you know, who's printing the paychecks and what the scent in the bathroom is. And uh, I was worrying about what we're bringing to the market, what we were going to sell that somebody would want to buy. I think a lot of people who run startups uh, think that the important things are things like who prints the paychecks and what building they're in and whether there's a pool table in the other room. It's like, no, really what's important is what – did you build something that the consumer actually wants to buy? And uh, until you do that, you haven't really started anything.
0: Well, let's – but before we jump into Rob's question for you, I just want to – I want to hear your definition of sponsored startup because that could mean – to our listeners, it could mean a few things to a few different people. So walk me through what you – because you've said that phrase a few times. It's obviously the title of the show – um, walk me through what you mean by sponsored
2: startup. Well, so, so you have to be picky, right? I mean, it means that there's another company, one single company that's funding the portion, the, the, the business. And, and, in, and ideally they're also making available to you the resources that they already provide to their existing businesses that you choose to use. I mean, if they aren't giving you the option to choose it or not choose it, then it's not really a startup.
0: No, it's just a divi- it's just a division.
2: Right? That's right. In my case, I chose to use a brand name of two a very large auto insurance organizations, a direct and an independent agency one, because I could sell into those two books of business much more quickly with the brand name. So I chose the brand name. I've chosen uh, uh, what I'd call infrastructure departments like uh, legal and uh, HR and finance. I eventually bring people on to if once I have full-time work for them. Um, but there are things that that large companies will buy that startups don't buy um because they should try they shouldn't buy anyway because they should try to make money uh early and and so uh, you have to have the option not to buy it yeah
0: gotcha and that and i think that's really important is the uh the attachment strings have to be pretty loose for you to consider it a sponsored startup and not a division of a company right that's is right. uh right. you have to have autonomy or it's just a just another subset even if you uh even if you create a separate legal entity, if you own one hundred percent of it, they're required to continue running everything by the marketing department of the parent company and and you can't actually conduct the experiment, then it's not exactly the
2: same thing. So it's interesting because I think in most uh, large organizations the 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 managers have done well, want to get in there and make sure you don't do something wrong and they take some pride in in reducing risk for the larger organization. When actually a startup needs to do the exact opposite, it needs to take a risk that the larger organization wouldn't take on its own. Otherwise, you might as well just do it within the operation. So there's, you know, there's friction there. But this company, uh, very well run by its founder Jim Stone and uh, its president uh, Hal Belodoff at the parent companies, really allowed me to be a CEO and president of an independent company and to do things, um, you know, that aren't ridiculous, but that are, but are. Uh, um, uh, reasonable risks and, and really kind of, in some cases, a little bit unreasonable. So, you know, I, I remember one time I was telling uh, uh, Jim Stone on the board meeting, I was saying, hey, I want to name my claims VP customer benefits VP. Now, somebody's going to steal that idea. So now that I have it out there, he says, OK, and I'll name you the president of wacky names. And I said, all right, you're right. That's not important. Let's just go do the job, right? Let's go work on the really important things that we're going to be weird about, right? like Like never asking anything more than your address, like trying to make money without using credit when everybody knows credit gives lift to every other single variable. Um, like uh, having tiered commissions in spite of a uh, of, uh, high dependency on high commissions of your biggest channel of, uh, trying to create, uh, APIs that, that attach to any interface with an address. all these things that nobody's trying because it involves risk that underwriting underwrites out. Um, and you do it in the name of a customer experience. Mm. Rob.
1: Bill. So you, you've, uh, Put a lot out there that are, are great that I definitely want to dive into in terms of your innovation at, at Plymouth Rock Assurance and, and what you're doing. So lots of breadcrumbs there. But before we dive into the specifics of of how you're innovating, I do want to stay with this theme of innovation from within a larger corporate environment. And uh, you've seen it on both sides now. You've done it within traditional companies. You mentioned uh, Progressive, which is definitely one that I admire. And and we were talking uh, prior to recording about. I know for many years when I was at USA, we were going through all the progressive filings and trying to understand how they were calculating certain rates and how they were uh, handling certain types of expenses. And, and we adapted the product management model, which we had never had. And, and so there's a lot of blatant ripping off, which is actually probably right, the sincerest form of innovation, <laughs> flattery, right, is that you know, your competitors now ripping off what you're doing. Um, but it's so hard, and, and this is probably the, the theme I talk to the most organizations about, I've taught classes about, and even I feel like I don't have all the answers. You know, I can tell you a lot of ways that didn't work, but you know, the sponsored startup con- uh, concept, what's the difference between a pure startup and some of the challenges there, and then what are some of the advantages and disadvantages, and, and how do you, I don't know if there's some maybe uh, wisdoms that you can share that you've discovered about creating a successful sponsored startup.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good question because there is no two sponsors that are going to allow you the same freedom or, 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 you know, degrees of freedom, but the biggest difference is one thing that I mentioned earlier, which is you're working on infrastructure things as a, a de novo startup. Whereas on the sponsored startup, hopefully you're working on the value proposition. And the value proposition will be the ultimate determinant of success at the end of the day, um, not, not the, you know, which payroll vendor you use. So, or which, you know, with the stock purchase agreement says, there's a lot. The second thing is really pretty big. And that is the need to raise money um, in a de novo startup. Um, because even if you are successfully generating a profit, uh, there's some level of expansion um, that that could benefit from spending. Now, that having been said, one of my startups before between bankers and Plymouth Rock was a company called Neptune. And uh, since we were bootstrapping that one, um, we, uh, Jim Albert and I, we uh, decided that we, we needed to be capital light, as you heard people talk about before, which basically means you're an agent, um, uh, because in the insurance world, you need capital. You have to have capital to back the risk that you take. But in the agent world, you you market and get a return on the marketing dollar. And I'm not saying capital isn't used there, but Neptune turned a profit very early and has been very profitable since. It's growing faster than many of the insured techs out there, and is making money. So if, if the multiples for the money losers uh, that are growing at the same pace is as high as it is, then I can't imagine what Neptune is. Oh, making.
0: no. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Oh, oh I'm sorry. If you lose money, you're worth more money. Than if you make money. I knew I had it wrong. You didn't I knew know I had it wrong. You didn't know that? It was no, actually just like that. That was actually originated at Stanford, because it's, you know, <laughs> it's right there in Silicon Valley. If you lose money, it's worth more money. If you're making money, something must be wrong with you. Like you must not be spending enough on growth, and so you must be worth less.
2: You know, 36 years, and I didn't haven't got it till now. i, mean, I, <laughs> I, I got to go lose some money. I, I really do. You have to go lose I, money. If you, want, if, if, if you
0: want to sell for a ridiculous, insane amount of money, you must be losing money.
2: <laughs> well, it, it, and the, the reward is to an R&D invention. So that's not different anywhere. If you can invent a value prop that a customer wants to buy, then you deserve to make money. I don't know why people are shy about that. Why they go around and say, Hey, I'm going to take costs out of the system. Then they never do it. In fact, cost is one of the big limiters to some of these insured techs making money, not lost costs, but actual expense. And it's because it's hard to bring customers on. So customers will come to a good product, but you do need distribution. And there is no great insurance story. That isn't a distribution story. And I think that's, that's a, a really salient comment. Right, that's the you, biggest advantage to a sponsored startup is they usually bring some distribution to you. Yeah, and so to have a product to give them, all of a sudden there's exponential benefit. Every time I introduce something new at Farmers with fourteen thousand exclusive agents who didn't yeah. sell a competing product, <laughs> they could sell anything to them. They could, you know, if, if they didn't have ice in Alaska, they would sell ice in Alaska. So I, I think yeah. uh, I would give them ice to sell. So they were they were fantastic people at describing what their value is as an agent as well as what the product value was and thus they could achieve higher prices than their competitors on the same amount of risk you just had to give them a good product to do it with
0: yeah and that's the that's always the the challenge in any in any industry let's get outside the insurance industry if you've got a distribution channel uh whether it's your own whole you know captive uh distribution channel or you're going through uh resellers value-added resellers or agents whatever you want to define uh non you know non 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 wholly owned distribution um if you align commission structures uh payments and uh, you're selling to a similar buyer persona then you can really you can really juice that distribution model where i've seen where i've seen it fall down in insurance and outside of insurance is when you introduce and you say well i already have this distribution channel they can sell ice you know in alaska but i mean it, de- it depends, like if they're already talking to buyers of ice, right? So you, you've you've got you got to make sure that they're not having to completely upend who they sell to and how they sell it, and uh, and and completely transform uh, that that because it can be well, really challenging. Don't
2: underestimate the distribution uh, uh, math. I don't think it's just commission; it's also they do the math too. If they can do five times as much business with half the expense, yep, they, they, you know, so so. What, what you can really get out of some of so these. Everybody kept telling me, hey, Bill, you've got this, you give me an address, I got a quote system, right? That's really easy. It sounds like a direct business. And I kept saying to him, why do you think agents don't need it to be easy? They're spending 90% of the time in the home insurance transaction asking questions to get whether they're eligible and what the right rate is. By eliminating all that, they're going to actually talk about coverage. They're going to say, do you really want a hurricane deductible? Do you want to buy up? Do you really want? Um Flood. Uh, that amount of coverage you want more. If, yeah. Do you have cyber re- protection? Do you need more like they can sell the coverage and stop talking about how much linoleum is on the floor or whether the roof was built, was replaced before they even bought the house. They don't know. They, they just don't know these things. So we need to do our homework to enable the agent to do their job, which isn't setting a rate. I I any agent who thinks that their job is to get the customer the lowest rate is probably not as profitable as the one who thinks it's to get the customer the right coverage. Um, if they get the customer the right coverage, they'll make a lot more money. Because these guys will leave when there's a claim or somebody will just match the price. Price is not a competitive advantage. Anybody can match your price. They might not have the infrastructure to support it, but they can match your price. Yeah. And then they
0: can, of course, uh, shortchange you on the insurance contract. And then yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, it, it gets uh, pretty dicey once the once it's actually bound and- and, I, and like like you just said, when they actually have to experience the claims experience at a bottom rate provider, and uh, they get denied, or or it's a it's a it's a rough valuation, I mean, whatever whatever happens there, it gets pretty dicey. Uh, before we go into Rob's next question, I'm just curious. What's the big competitive advantage you have at Plymouth Rock? Like what, what have you done there that really you think
2: sets you apart? The risk of giving away the secret sauce. It's the fact that we know what we want to charge before we meet the customer. And so we can go further with that and say, can we estimate what the competitors are going to charge? Yes. Can we estimate their likelihood to respond to my marketing? Yes. And if the stars align, you know exactly what your target is. It's who you can offer a better rate, who you can make money on and who will respond to your marketing and you won't waste marketing dollars. You won't have spillage of marketing dollars by doing it by demographic or general media. Now, everybody will tell you those things are useful for increasing people's consideration for your brand name. but I work through uh, many different channels, not my own brand name necessarily. And so um, so where I'm more concerned with whether I can finitely target that market and become a uh, an option and a consideration for that target market only. I don't care if the guys who I can't give a lower rate or who I can't compete on, um uh, who, who or who aren't profitable come with me. I I they can they can stay where they're at. Gotcha. Excellent. Thank you. Rob?
1: So Bill, you've talked a little bit about some of the innovations and particularly this idea of, you know, you enter your address, you get a quote, and you don't have to ask all those questions. Um, And maybe you can unwind a little bit, right? What enables you to do that? I'm going to presume that there's a fair bit of third-party data. There may be some API integration there. So what are some of the key technologies uh, that has allowed you to make some of these innovations? And then how do you see... Um, some of the buzz technologies and, and anything else you might want to mention. So I think of IoT. I think of things like aerial imagery, right? AI and machine learning. So, uh, what are some of the technologies that you're using today, um, or that maybe on your radar that you think um, could really uh, make a big impact on homeowners insurance?
2: So the the uh, every this is one of the huge benefits of being in Boston. Every day. Um, there is a new advance in predictive analytics. And as you have heard over time, there's an exponential change in the amount of data available to you. Um, and if my data science group grows as quickly as the opportunities do, it's going to take over the rest of the organization very soon. Um, because the truth is the traditional modeling and insurance and even the state-of-the-art modeling, I think everybody's gotten to uh, machine learning now, um, is is being obsoleted quickly. Uh, and so the, the, this analytical tech is becoming just a lot of fun to watch, you know, homeowners insurance, we used to use generalized linear models to set auto insurance rates. And we're thinking we were state of the art. Well, it turns out homeowners insurance is anything but linear. Um, there might be some curve to where the risk is, but, but it isn't matched exactly $10 higher value. Doesn't have an exact linear, uh, increase over somebody who's uh, $10 of value lower. So <laughs> so we see these kind of yes, no decision trees which become highly complicated and can only work with machine learning in multiple millions of runs. Um, and then we see the guys over at MIT working on a whole new predictive modeling technique, which almost requires new systems. Thank God for cloud technology as well, because the, the, they keep up with the new systems and they keep up with the new uh, functions that you can use in, in the machine. So um, so we're pretty excited about um, about the analytical technology. On the consumer side, um, there's always been, and this is true of auto insurance as well, a gap between how much money you save in the time you have the customer and how much it costs to do loss prevention. We know we know what uh, homes will now withstand storms like you've seen in Louisiana, right? Um, you see the pictures of the one home that's still standing with no neighbors, um, and and you and you say, well, why don't we, you know, pay for that for everybody? And the answer is because one policy can't pay. It's it, you know, a lifetime of policies won't pay for the the new roof and the and the uh, cinder block and the elevation and all that sort of stuff. So so the, the that's always been a problem. And IoT is getting closer to serving uh, you know serving that market because it's it's solving the problem by integrating the elements of of uh, of their technology in the house rather than having to be added on and maintained and turned on and and make sure it's connected with the web and so forth. It's getting closer, you know. But today, the most valuable thing I can do is put a, a water leakage stop valve on somebody's main line, um, and, and I'll save you know two to four percent of my premiums. Uh, and over a five-year period, I might have them enough money to pay for that to be done. Um, but so there's always been that little problem with in world tech. So you can reward the customer's investment in it with a lower rate, but you won't necessarily pay for the tech. Um, And that's, that's always been a a leap. So we do facilitate, we do spend a lot of time offering services and facilities for people to be able to uh, do loss mitigation on their own. Um, Turns out you really should attach some sort of other short-term consumer benefit to that technology so that um, they have more of an appreciation for the usage of the device. So, so, you know, it's really useful to, to be able to see whether your water is leaking while you're on vacation, whether you're, thermostats turned down while you're not in the house, whether the dog got out of the door and never came back, you know, whether somebody entered your door and you didn't invite them. And, you know, some of this new technology that keeps you managing your house day to day, if you can integrate loss mitigation with that, it becomes a current value rather than future. And so we're trying to uh, uh, tie up with people who who are heavily involved with that. The connector technology is the one I'm most excited about, which is right now, anybody who has an address, forget about the insurance world, just dump the insurance shopping world anybody who has an address, I can present my rate. So my goal is to have a million more quotes just to get a thousand more customers. I'm okay with that because I'm trying to get to a zero cost per quote that drives everybody who wants to sell you something transactionally crazy. That means when the aerial imagery guys parse their data and say, here is what it is for that particular home. I say, okay, I need it for the other 17 million homes in my footprint. And they, they their mind explodes because they're used to transactional pricing, not whole database pricing. And they'll think you're going to go do something with it. That'll be evil and nefarious and well, and competitive to them. Different. They're worried about you competing against them with their own data too. But they they do. And we don't, we just sign away our life on that, but, but it, but it's way, and i say to them, Hey, I'm going to pay you more per policy than you're going to get from these other companies. So, so dump the transactional idea because you're becoming a pre underwriter with me and I'm paying you to do that. Um, so it, it, the trade's not bad. It's just not where the, the data industry is at, but being able to present my rate, in non-insurance situations, is worth it um, because then you're not just considering a company because they have a funny animal on TV or, uh, or you know, kind of a chuckle of a commercial. You're doing it because you remember this rate and you forgot what your home insurance rate is. You go home and look at it someday, or it comes across on a bill, and you say, "Oh, I remember that Plymouth Rock only costs 1,200. I I, I got to go over there, and so uh, that that's better consideration than than any other type of consideration. Awesome. That's what I'm excited about. We can we, you know zero cost per quote interrate everywhere. Um uh, it's you know, we're not hundred percent of the way there. We we give up rating variables that that other people use against us. Um, but uh, we're becoming better at predicting when that's happening.
0: Yeah, I, I think when you look at the insure tech market, of course, we've been interviewing a lot of insure techs for the last two, two years on this show. <clears throat> when you, you try and define like what an insure tech is, and the, distinguishing an insure tech from a modern and in mainline insurance company has become increasingly difficult because everybody's racing towards like, like what does it look like for the end consumer? Right? Like for the end consumer, it's instant quoting, right? Like give me your address, answer less than five questions and give me a price. You know, no, no, no more, no more. Okay. You have to submit it and then have someone review it and then get, get a price back to you. So that's like one hallmark. And, and by the way, of course that's being applied. And through this show, we've seen it being applied to a ton of lines, both personal and commercial lines. Property, even even driving into areas like comp and other areas that are typically extremely laborious to quote out, Um, streamlining quoting is always a hallmark that I've seen of an insurer tech. Yeah,
2: but but these guys who do it, they don't give themselves credit. They don't charge enough. Look at my loss ratios and my growth rate, and compare it with anybody who's doing this tech, this process, and you have to say, you know, where is their tech? It's it's still being developed. They haven't got the algorithms to support what they're doing. we, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited cause we, we do, we, we have, we're beating the industry's loss ratios and we're certainly well, beating cool. growth rates.
0: Well, there is a, I, I would, I would speculate that there is a good bit of uh, and I only say this cause I'm not privy to their internal financials, but I would speculate there's a good bit of usage of venture capital and private equity funds to subsidize rates by going out with a, with a, with
2: a, uh, a lower price point that's subsidized by investment money and, yeah. Could and, be right, but I think the irony there is they end up with mostly coastal or high cat business. So I, yeah. I, I, there's just a lot more to distribution than sure. just it's a, getting to a price. So no, it's an, to I, your point that I don't think it's enough. I I think that that advantage of being quoting and even doing it profitably is a closing window because everybody's figuring out the data and algorithm technology. Now we're entering what I'll call the post pricing world, where where auto really needs to get to. And that is where um, people buy you for a reason other than price. Um, and, and that's where it gets exciting is you need to invent services and products that make it more than a rare event, but a, a common service to the customer to be doing business with your company.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, something I've, I, I've been thinking about a lot. Like It can't just be about streamlining quoting because I'm seeing everybody doing that. Yeah. And then it can't just be about streamlining claims. Because I'm seeing everybody do that too. Like you're seeing much faster claim payments, much easier claim filing processes, mobile apps, you know, you know, robotic texting. I mean, there's a lot of things that are rolling out across the main. So I think it's going to be. I I personally think in the next year it's going to be increasingly difficult to distinguish the techs from the mainline insurance companies. The mainline insurance companies both do sponsored startups like what you have talked about, and just new divisions inside, new brands inside their own company where they where they break their existing model with something they own and fully control because they know what they have to do to compete against folks who come in and cannibalize their business and you know there's there's certainly been a lot of discussion a lot of hallways that i've that I've heard uh, when they look at like lemonades IPO and the valuation and the IPO price and they look at their loss ratio and they go, where's the you know how 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 is that justified? How do I get to that justification? What do I have to do? What brand do I have to roll out or what product is roll out to get to that that justification so I can get that value on the public market. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting year to listen to those conversations.
2: Well, I think uh, there's, you know, I mentioned distribution as a missing element, um, at least distribution where you've earned an honorable spot. They're not giving you the, the stuff they can't get through anywhere else. You know, they're actually giving you their quality business. There's also this idea of a culture. So let's go all the way back to progressive. Progressive has constantly pushed authority down and enabled creativity in an environment that is willing to take risks by completely changing the way other people do insurance. Every year they're coming up with their own innovation. And and if you can create that culture and the discipline, let's face it, when they were over in 96, they were back there within two months. That that is a culture of innovation, experimentation, risk-taking, and a discipline of not doing it at a cost to their investors. They're great, we're delivering for their investors, and so today their stock price is up ten dollars over a week ago because the investors realize, you know what, they are—they're so good at self-correcting. They're so disciplined. They have created the perfect culture—the one where you get both the innovation and the profit—and that is something that 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 is a real achievement. And when your insurtechs achieve that, when they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Then they deserve to be vaulted to the five billion valuation, um, in spite of what you know, Nasdaq says. Absolutely.
1: All right, Rob. So, Bill, you know, you also kind of mentioned right that 0, uh, zero cost quote, uh, and I think you touched on this earlier, but definitely want to have you talk a little bit about. Credit scoring and and for it sounds like you're foregoing credit scoring, whereas most of your competitors are highly reliant because it's highly predictable, but it's an expensive piece. And and I'll tie that just kind of to broadly, right? Your vision for the future. So you've already talked to us about several innovations that you've made at Plymouth Rock Assurance in the homeowner space. But what's to come, or what's your view of what this uh, the future of the homeowner's insurance market should look like? So,
2: so I haven't solved the problem. I haven't figured out a way to completely eliminate the lift in credit scoring. It always seems to add lift no matter matter what proxy I'm using, but credit itself is a proxy. And that means that there has to be other proxies for it. Um, If it's a proxy for driving behavior, actually measuring driving behavior should replace credit. So so that's good news, but but we don't have the similarity. We might with some of the insurance of things and home insurance, Um, um, but the idea is if you can get rid of the proxy and get to the risk, your customers feel a lot better about what they're paying. You know, there's a there's a bunch of a movement to to pass uh, laws to restrict underwriting rules. The ones they shouldn't restrict are the ones that actually tie right directly to risk. If you buy a dog that's bitten somebody in the past, you probably should pay more than somebody who has a dog that's never bitten anybody in the past. Um, so, so risk-based rating is something our customers are willing to take. They don't like the proxies, and and if it's a proxy, I I postulate to you that there's enough data out there. I'm almost certain the data will give me a way to recreate credit without credit. Um, it's, for lack of a better term, it's not really a proxy, but it's, but it's, a, it's a measuring the risk directly rather than indirectly, right? Not everybody who misses a credit card bill is going to run a red light or light uh, or let their fireplace go while they leave. Um, so, so figuring out what the behavior is is always going to be better than figuring out what the proxy for that behavior is. So that's our obsession, that, but I haven't gotten rid of it entirely. I, I do use it in a couple of states and I experiment with different levels of use in other states. Um, but in our world, it is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So if somebody comes to the conclusion, we can't because we don't collect this data, but if somebody comes to the conclusion that this is somehow discriminatory and they want to get rid of it, we're, we're ahead of the game.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I love that
2: bill, you know, it's, Rob, sorry, sorry. it's an analytical no, I, I, challenge. It's kind of like one of those guys who gets on a plane and tries to figure out math problems, you know, and, and that, that, you know, Einstein never figured out we kind of try to figure out how to kill credit.
1: I, I love that bill because uh, it's something that I know I've been preaching for a long time about, um, you know, this, this proxy variables that the insurance industry has relied on for for decades, really, if not centuries. Right. But, yet uh, you know taking it to the auto space as you did right if i have your telematics data i know everything about your vehicle i know everything about your driving and i've even got information about the roadways themselves and which ones are safe and which ones are, are dangerous then what relevance is your age gender or marital status right to to pricing your auto insurance it, it, it shouldn't become relevant anymore because i have all the variables that i need and that might be uh, collected through sensors, right? And that might be d- data that was never feasible before, never actionable before, and I was forced to use these proxies. But as the uh, as I can get closer to, quote, unquote, directly observing your behavior as a homeowner, your home's behavior As you know, people don't think of their home as a system, but it is a system and it's really a system of systems, right? Like your plumbing system, your electrical system, and, and yep. things like that. And so the more I can learn about the behaviors of those systems and, and, and you know, your, your actions as a homeowner, I don't need to worry about, well, you know, how many stories do you have? Or what's the, the age of your home? Or when did you replace the, the, the roof last and and things like that, that to your point, most people don't know the square footage of their home. They don't know how old the roof is.
2: That's right. They certainly don't know how much it costs to replace it. And, uh, and, and yet, uh, they know that they'll save money if they underestimate it.
0: Yeah. The other, the other thing, um, I mean, uh, certainly in, in technology, I've been writing uh, software for a very, very long time, and we're looking at uh, reporting out of our systems. We've always looked for uh, causality, not just correlation. And I think that's at the heart of a lot of the equity arguments around the use of credit um, is that uh, it may be correlated, but is, it real, is there really causality there, and is it
2: fair? Uh, yeah, I had the same issue with the channel discounts, right? People say, well, you know, you have a separate rating plan for direct versus uh, independent agents. And I always say, yeah, but I don't go up to a stoplight and say, you know, because I'm direct, I'm gonna go through the red light. And you can stay because you're IA, it doesn't happen. It's not the way it works. So the the core, again, the causation is not there. And if you get to the causation, you're you're gonna be way more accurate to your point. By the way, if you're a coder, you'll like one of the things we do, which is because we have an idea of what we wanna charge a risk before we meet them, it takes a lot less code and simple code is one of the things that is a, a, a noose around a lot of a difficult code. is a noose around a lot of the big companies they, they, their systems do so much that one little change breaks a hundred things and they have to test away and fix and everything costs a, a million dollars and takes six months. If they get to simple code and do it offline, you know, you, you got a lot of uh, systems vendors out there trying to sell you more code. And I just crack up and go, why don't they say, Hey, I'm going to win by charging you less and giving you less code. And you guys can do all this other stuff offline
0: yeah i mean i've personally been involved in that been building claims software uh for 17 years and uh and uh, certainly policy management software and when it when it takes a half million dollars in six months just to roll a new line in a new state out um you've got something
2: fundamentally wrong with um with the With the whole system, right, but it's, nobody's trying to sell you a system that deconstructs that. they're all trying to sell you a system that does more, and I actually want my systems to do less. I want to do more offline. I don't want it to take a lot of effort and testing to change the color of the title on page eight
0: yeah or to or to say, "Hey I want to add a new
2: state or hey yeah, I want to roll we, a new We use a clone method for that, which is you can do in homeowners more than you can in auto, to be honest. the, the regulation is so different by state and auto you end up with all kinds of nuances, and, yeah. And well, it almost makes automation a waste of time because it's too customized.
0: Yeah, we could have a litany of discussions around our U.S. regulatory environment around insurance <laughs> and <laughs> and how bizarre it is to have a country that has fifty regulators and you know how how, yeah. how much work it creates. But uh, yeah, you guys in Europe keep reminding me of that one. Yeah, exactly. But but there is a, I mean there there could, you you could make a case for federalized insurance regulation, but at the same time. You could argue that uh, state-based regulation makes um, the regulatory environment competitive in some states better than others. And, of course, I think you're seeing that uh, around people relocating around the country. It's not- It
2: allows for experimentation, but I would also argue that, that it, it tests whether a particular approach to regulation is actually helping the consumer or not. Yeah. So the only bad part about it is the political football, but the, the truth is a lot of these regulators are are trying to do something good for the consumer and, and, um, and sometimes just don't know that what they're doing isn't. Yeah. Isn't actually, isn't actually good for them. Um, all
0: right. Uh, Rob closing uh, questions or our, uh, thoughts.
1: No, I, I'm just, uh, I, I, I love what you're doing, Bill. Uh, just uh, you know, the, the experience that you have uh, your view on the industry, the innovative spirit that you have, and yet, you know, you're actually driving true, Change, uh, not just hype, as we were kind of talking a little bit uh, before the uh, the call. So, you know, having that accountability, right, of of actually having to manage your loss ratio, your combined ratio, and and like we were kind of joking on the podcast, right? It, it shouldn't be piling up losses. The higher the the valuation, right? That I think be uh, I think what the investors don't know is
2: that it's, I think what the investors don't know is that anybody can grow in this business. It isn't hard to grow. You just lower your rates more. So you know, for, from our standpoint, we're having fun because because we're trying to figure out ways that we can pull off both. It's the same sort of fun we had 37 years ago with Progressive. It's we know that you can do it both ways if you if you really put good minds to it. And we have great talent, having a lot of fun, and and uh, and that's a requirement for me. I wouldn't be in this business if I wasn't having fun. Yeah, awesome,
0: great. Well, uh, thanks. Uh, appreciate the conversation uh it's always good to uh to talk to a new friend in uh and insurance and then, of course if you want more information on uh on Plymouth Rock uh it's it's pretty simple PlymouthRock.com is uh their website and you can find out more about the company and their leader Bill Martin uh there and now Rob I know you have a couple of news stories to close out the year being it's our last show of the year what what do you have?
1: I do. So I've got one news story and two self-promotions <laughs> that I'll mask as news. But um, the news item I have this week is from a company called Farmer's Edge. They're actually a Canadian company, and uh, they started by creating um, software as a service to farmers to manage, uh, basically manage their operations. Um, it has a bunch of information about their their fields, their crops, Um, and allows them to to manage their business. They previously have had relationships with uh, insurance entities, Munich Re and Fairfax, but they announced recently that they're actually starting their own insurance MGA um, called Digitag Risk Management. And what I love about this one is that they're going to use the access that they already have to proprietary field-centric data sets that come from uh, farms, including satellite imagery, on-farm weather events, predictive crop models, acreage reports, and more, and they're going to take all those data sets that they already have and helping farmers manage their, their operations um, to create new insurance solutions and risk transfer opportunities including parametric that have previously been unavailable to the marketplace and not only are they uh, going to be offering these really you know individualized uh, insurance uh, products and in, in parametric solutions to farmers but they're tying that with group benefits um, so they're going to allow farmers to also offer uh, group insurance benefits to their employees like dental, vision, and medical coverage for both full-time and seasonal employees. So I, I just love that they they've, uh, became a public company this year. They raised $99 million in their Canadian IPO. And so uh, this is a great example of a firm that we talk about uh, quite a bit in the industry, but often don't struggle to come up with uh, actual use cases of a company that's outside the insurance business. Uh, that has a, a platform that has a bunch of data uh, that, you know, then kind of overnight uh, moves into the insurance space. And it was uh, uh, potentially a, a somebody that's was cooperating before, that's now become a, a non-traditional competitor uh, with other agricultural uh, crop insurers in uh, Canada. And certainly, obviously you could see them expanding uh, to the U.S. And, and elsewhere pretty easily. Awesome. So the, uh, the self-promotions I have, I I earlier this week I was on a uh the year-end webinar from Insure Insights. And this is a fun webinar. They always have uh great content. Um, but the year-end one is always a, a special one where we like to have a little bit of fun. And uh we talk about the year that occurred in InsureTech, and this theme was 2021, the year InsurTech exploded. Uh, we also pull out our crystal balls for 2022. We actually had several forbidden words that we couldn't say. It's kind of a gamification. So disruption was one. Unicorn was another. Um, so anyway, I've got a link out there. I encourage folks to watch the the replay. You do have to 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 register to watch the replay, but it's. It's highly worth your time and and, uh, entertaining. And then uh, finally, a special thanks to Mike uh, Fidel from InsureTech Ohio, uh, who uh, was kind enough to feature me in their Spotlight series. Um, uh, So just kind of talking with Mike, a great conversation that we had about InsureTech. Again, very similar theme of where we've been and and where it's going. So Jeff, definitely check out my interview with uh, Mike Fidel of InsureTech Ohio.
0: Awesome, and I've got a couple of news stories uh, that I thought were uh, interesting. Um, this is a you know SPAC deals. Then SPACs are I I've got some pretty strong feelings about SPACs that I'll stay I'll just keep out of this. It's a it's a it's a nice backdoor way to go public. But um Insuretech Leakbot is going public in a SPAC deal. It's a UK Insuretech called Leakbot under the name Ondo Insuretech in a SPAC deal with Spinnaker Acquisitions uh, from UT from the UK Tech News reported on this. Uh, it's an iot device they, they created a device to help protect homes from water damage and save water and decrease building material waste uh trying to reduce uh you know claim costs and payouts there so they are going public but uh again you mentioned the record year for insurtech funding uh and this is um, this is from uh, fintechnews.sg um uh, that uh, 2021 was a record year for insuretech funding as of q3 2021 more than 10 and a half billion billion had been raised by companies in the space year to date um, and uh, you know nearly uh, 48 this is crazy surpassing 2020's total of 7 billion so it was a huge huge passing of 2020's uh, funding that's from Willis Towers Watson data uh, so there was a massive uptick some of the largest uh, fundraises was ACO in India ACKO 255 million dollars raised over there uh, Bolt Tech, and this is talking about all the Asia Pacific. We don't really cover the Asia Pacific region, but they're raising a lot of money for InsureTech, and then coming over here, Bolt Tech raised two hundred and ten million dollars. Digit Insurance raised two hundred um, there you know one hundred fifty six million. Uh, Paidum uh, InsureTech one hundred twenty seven million. Carrot raised eighty eight million. I mean it's uh, it goes it goes all over the place. Of course Australia, we talked about Cover Genius seventy two point eight million dollars. Um, so there's a lot of these uh, firms that raised an incredible amount of capital, but it was a a record fundraising year, which of course uh, draws a lot of attention, brings additional investors, uh, and uh, of course uh, draws the eye of many mainline insurance companies who are who are trying to compete there. So very uh, very interesting year there, uh, Bill. Uh, your speculation: uh, they, Are we going to we're going to pass that ten and a half billion uh, mark in 2022?
2: I think we're uh, more concerned with. the... Uh... it goes to than how much so i'm betting it begins to be redirected to somebody who might actually give them something back
0: yeah yeah i uh truer words uh cannot have been spoken uh better now mind you bill i am a hardcore bootstrapped entrepreneur so i've spent 20 years bootstrapping my own tech companies and selling them uh have not raised capital so I'm i i have this maniacal focus on profitability um, because uh, I had to to survive uh, from starting this business with five thousand bucks in my dorm room, so uh, I am on the same page with you
2: on this. <laughs> I'll admit to you, my most profitable venture so far was the bootstrap one. So uh, yeah, I'm a personal profit, yeah, I'm not necessarily a, a success for the
0: owner yeah but personal profit I mean, it's, it's, it's the way it is I mean uh, uh, bootstrapping uh, drives a pretty uh, pretty intense mindset and uh, certainly focuses you focuses <laughs> your mind when you don't have uh, millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars sitting in the background and the desire to go IPO and then to ex- exit your shares before you have to prove you can actually make it make money I mean that's you know there, there, there are a lot of companies that uh, their their business plan is raise 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 exit or raise 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 IPO and exit our shares before we have to prove it can actually become profitable.
2: Um, I can tell you, I, I eat a lot differently since the business got going too. It really helps a lot to fill the fridge sometimes. <laughs> yeah. um, so we, 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 we once called the uh, uh, Neptune Project Healthcare.
0: Yeah. <laughs> trying to get health
2: insurance? <laughs> yeah, we just knew we, we not we buying insurance. We couldn't afford it, but we bought I, it. I don't think
0: I could afford health insurance until my sixth or seventh year in business. Is when wow. I finally got a health insurance plan for wow. myself. You were you were playing chicken there. That was good. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, when they say put it all, when they say entrepreneurs put it all on the line, they sometimes you literally put all of it on the line. You know, uh, you know, it's uh, do I have enough food for groceries? There's definitely not enough food for health insurance, and <laughs> you know, can I can I pay payroll? I mean, that's that's the way that it I, works. I
2: remember it romantically. I don't remember it hungrily.
0: I don't remember it hungrily either. I remember it romantically <laughs> as well. My, my, uh, it's been, been an interesting ride. Well, thank you, uh, Bill, for being our final guest of the year. I really appreciate it, and uh, uh, you're, a, you're a wealth of knowledge. I appreciate you.
2: Great to, great to talk to you guys. And, and,
0: and Rob, it's been a lot of fun doing this with you this year. So thanks for all the wonderful episodes, and uh, thanks for being a friend.
2: Yeah,
1: likewise, James. It's always a blast. And uh, just a reminder to our listeners: we did have a conversation with Jim Albert from Neptune, So That's in the uh, the podcast library. So check that out. And something yeah. you can do in your downtime over the holidays is catch up on older episodes of the Insure Tech Geek podcast. Nice, that's awesome. Looking forward to twenty twenty two, James.
0: Yeah, same same here. Can't wait. Uh, my my book will finally be out. Oh, it's done with editing. So uh, it's called the Bootstrapped Entrepreneur. It's all about how to uh, How to apply a bootstrap mentality to any business, even if you're funded. And uh, so I I took all my lessons learned from 20 years and talked about it. So I didn't want to write a book on insure tech because there's this other guy I know that wrote a really good book on insure tech that I already (laughs) recommend to people called The End of Insurance. So uh, really, really great. Uh, If you want to read that, go to endofinsurance.com. Again, this has been the InsureTech Tech Geek Podcast powered by Jibby Knowledge, jibbyknowledge.com. It's all about tech that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com, with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, and Kara dalton RO, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next year.